Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. A lot happening today, and I am honored and thrilled that we are going to talk right now. Let's just go right to it, because City Hall has passed a new budget, delivering on some promises, and we want to know more details. Joining us is Alderwoman Maria Haddon. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's nice to be here, Patty. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I, look, there's a lot going on at City Hall. We don't have to get into any of the, uh, the background or drama that's happening. Uh, that might be for another time. Let's get to the nuts and bolts of what 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 were your thoughts going into today and I know the weeks leading up to this negotiations and trying to whip votes. Uh, where did we land today on our budget? Um, today, uh, fantastic. Uh, passed the 2024 budget. This was Mayor Johnson's uh, first budget in office, right? Uh, first budget for a brand new council. And um, uh, it, it passed with flying colors and 41 votes. Um, so that's, you know, we've got a nice balanced budget going into 2024. No property tax increases. We're able to maintain investments in a lot of the social service programs that are, uh, you know, desperately need it right now, like our uh, services for uh, people experiencing homelessness. There's going to be two new mental health clinics that will be reopened in 2024. And um, I'm most excited about a Department of Environment. Oh, tell us about, well, I know with the with the mental health services, part of that budget also includes uh, making sure that when there are calls to 911, it's also a, a, a cooperation, a collaboration between law enforcement and those med- mental health providers. Is that correct? There's an expansion of that co-responder model um, that uh, my ward, our district, uh, we're in the 24th district, was just kind of included in in the summer. Um, So, yeah, just a a lot of investment in the things that we know we need that advocates have been working for and that have been, you know, kind of proven progressive solutions. We're really excited to see uh, this mayor and this council uh, get behind it. It was um, I attended virtually. I'm out with COVID. Um, But it was great. Yeah, it's great to see so many uh, people across the spectrum, not just progressive caucus members, um, talking about the need for civilianization of the police force, for investment in mental health care. Um, uh, Those are some other things that you saw in the budget, right? More civilian positions um, so that uh, we could you know, right size the the way policing is done, free up resources for our sworn officers. Um, It's also, um, I'd say, exciting to see new investments and growth for returning citizens. Um, So for uh, folks, you know, returning uh, reentry services in our community. um, And of course, there was some funding also for a commission on reparations. Outstanding. I know that uh, we work uh, quite a bit. We collaborate with uh, Todd Belcour, the executive director of Social Change, and, and he's mm-hmm. ex- taught me a lot about the, the lobbying and legislation that he's worked on in that regards. Uh, and I, I see that the uh, there's an ordinance that would also divert 2% of the police department's uh, budget to help programs led by young people in neighborhoods that have a lot of violence and disenfranchisement. That sounds, I mean, these are the kinds of programs we've been talking about for years. And sometimes there's been money allocated. What, what, you know, when when it comes to a budget like this, right? And and you kind of mm-hmm. go, okay, we got past this part. What kind of mechanisms are in, in place to ensure that these plans go as closely as possible to what it's intended? 
Um, you know, that those those mechanisms are an active government and city council, right? Because you're right, we can put a lot of plans on paper and we can pass them in a budget, but someone's got to do the work and implementation. Um, I think what we've got going for us is one, um, some fantastic leadership um, uh, in the fifth floor, but not just in the fifth floor. Uh, Mayor Johnson talks about this all the time, and it's something that, you know, coming into council myself in 2019, um, a lot of my colleagues uh, from that class as well, we're looking for this expanded leadership, and we talk a lot about co-governance. So we've got some great leadership in our departments, um, but if we look at our committees here in city council, um, you may have noticed we are meeting a lot more <laughs> frequently. <laughs> I listen quite than, a bit, um, yes. <laughs> You know, than, uh, than we used to. And so, you know, with our leaders in education uh, committee, right? Uh, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, Alderwoman Jesse Fuentes um, in workforce in the subcommittee, Alderman Mike Rodriguez for workforce overall, Alderman Rodriguez Sanchez for health and human relations. We've got folks um, that have been championing these issues for a long time. And so it's not just enough to win them right in the budget or legislatively. Now we're also here. We're still here, right, in place to make sure that the implementation of this programs happen with the communities who've been advocating for them. And I want to come back to the uh, element that you uh, mentioned you're excited about. So tell us about, is this the Department of Environment and Innovation and Technology? Is that the one? The, no, 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 oh, no, no. another one. No, no. <laughs> so there's um, uh, what you're speaking about. So um, you're speaking about the Department of Innovation and Technology being separated out from fleet and facilities management again. Oh. So um, under under Mayor Lightfoot, um, uh, I forget which year, she combined these two different departments into one, and we called it Assets and Information Systems. And so under this budget, uh, council and the mayor have split those departments out again, um, which I'll say the combination of the departments was, uh, you know, met with kind of a lukewarm reception under Lightfoot and people are pretty excited to see those split out again. Um, so those might look like new departments, but they're really just kind of the return mm-hmm. um, and the separation of uh, departments that were combined. The Department of Environment um, has been a long time coming, right? So we haven't had one for uh, more than a decade and we're facing so many climate and climate justice and environmental issues as a city. Um, this has been something that myself, uh, Alderman Martin and Laspada, several others have really been championing and working with our community partners from across the city um, for several years. So it's exciting to uh, have a department going into 2024. I'm going to say that the article that was written needed a comma there because it should be the Department of, of Environment, comma, and Innovation and Technology. <laughs> I need my Oxford comma, everybody. I'm just going to say that right now because I, I read things the way they're written. Uh, so tell us, because, you know, a lot of people are committed to doing something to improve our environment, to reduce the mm-hmm. amount of garbage on our street. You know, people want to recycle. They, they're picking up uh, all kinds of refuse and things like that. What, what will this do? Because, you know, sometimes we hear, oh, like, I love, I, lo- I don't think enough people know about the composting in the city right now. Yeah, yeah. They- and like, yes, this new, the new pilots for the composting, yes. Yeah. Um, so what we're what we're really looking to the Department of Environment to do um, is to set our systems and processes and help guide the work for how we're creating a Chicago from top to bottom that is sustainable, that is um, 
you know, proactive. Um, so this is everything from um, we had more sinkholes this year because we didn't have a cold enough winter last year. So it's everything from infrastructure, right? Um, in my in my ward uh, this week, I have an alley collapse oh. um, near the shoreline, and, and it's because of shoreline erosion. It's the different activity underneath the surface, right? Um, oh, it's not. We're not getting as cold of winters. We're not developing frost lines. It, our infrastructure needs. And the engineering around that are changing because of our changing climate. Um, it's the cumulative impact assessment that um, the net, like now Office of Environment and Equity, what will become our Department of Environment and our uh, City Department of Public Health have been working on for the past couple of months that are going to be working with City Council to look at from our zoning to uh, laws to our building code um, how are we making sure that we're not bringing in polluting industries anymore in Chicago? And how are we making sure we're setting up those green industries? And that, that gets to our zoning, right? Of what are we, what do we allow? What are the uses? Um, it's also looking at enforcement of our air quality laws, right? Our water quality laws. Um, uh, there's a, there's a lot. It runs the gamut, right? When we talk about environmental issues. And then, of course, it looks at things like our renewable energy, right? Um, the infrastructure, like, are we putting in enough, uh, e-chargers? We know we're not, right? Um, so there's a, there's a huge, scope of work, um, but this is a first step in the right direction um, for the city of Chicago to really make sure that um, we're the most environmentally sustainable, livable city in the country. I'm excited about that, too. That's fantastic news. And I will tell you, on my way home from downtown, I work uh, in the city of Illinois building. I ran into two older people, one who voted for and one who voted against. And one of the things is so weird to be on a train. I feel like I've talked to more older people today than I have in years. In one, in one <laughs> but one person told me, and they had voted for the budget, but they were concerned about the fact that we, uh, you know, we, the services and what we're providing and trying to help migrants as they arrive here and keep them sheltered and clothed and fed. We're spending about $40 million a, a month, and right now it's only $150. I, I, my understanding was going to be $300 million. Um, so I, I know that Springfield said they would not come back to this till the spring. Do we have any um, hope or expectation that federally we'll be getting some assistance? Because this could be going up to, this could be a billion dollars by the time we're all, all done with this. Or close, not done. I don't, we, yeah. we, we absolutely, you're absolutely right. We need federal movement on this. Um, both at the border, right, yes. and when it comes to funding for cities like ours that are absorbing, right, all the asylum seekers that we're we're letting in, right? Because um, just to be clear, like we're we're letting people in. They're they are filing paperwork, right? They are seeking asylum, um, and um, it's great to see the movement. Um, that the Biden administration's made on the um, workforce authorization, right? Ex- expedited uh, paperwork and processing for for some people, um, but it's not enough, and the funding is killing us. Um, I wasn't in council today, and so you'll have to pardon me for not knowing the figures, but it's my understanding. I believe um, the mayor announced some um, additional commitments um, from the state, uh, maybe in his after. Uh, council pressers. So right. I know the state continues to be a partner in this. I think the state and the county um, are trying to work on some additional things. But he did also um, announce uh, some new kind of process limitations as well. 
that we're supposed to get more details on later this week. Um, some, so some, you know, limitations of how many days, right. Um, uh, the asylum seekers can, um, stay in shelter. So the city of Chicago is having to move to put some limitations around our services because it's otherwise really difficult to predict how much this is going to cost us. Well, I appreciate your insight on this, and we look forward to hearing more about that as we go forward and we go into the cold weather. I hope that you feel better. Uh, we'd love to touch base Thank with you. you again. Thank you so much for your time and for your service, and, uh, and I wish you Thank the you. very best. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Get some sleep, and you can binge watch uh, Dark Wind. We're big fans. Take a, take a break here. We'll come back in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. We're going to catch up with Dan Schaefer, the mastermind behind the recombobulation area. you got to read his stuff. Follow him on Twitter right now. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am making a promise publicly that I will be less cheesy about Wisconsin this week. <laughs> that was terrible. That was really, really terrible. Dan Schaefer joins us, the publisher, the writer of the Recombobulation Area to talk all things Wisconsin. How are you doing today, my friend? You got a new coach, I see, for the Brewers. Yeah, that's right. We got a new coach. Uh, so do you. So that's fun. Because <laughs> we took yours. It seems, it seems that um, money money talks and he walked, I guess is how it goes, right? Uh, we, need, we need to have some sort of trade. Can Chicago send us anything in well, this deal? Uh, you know, we sent to your manager. We get like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's nothing, uh, yeah, nothing on the plate. Jordan statue or something like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we got some, I, I, could, <laughs> I could find a pair of gym shoes or something somewhere. Uh, yeah, we, oh, we don't. Well. Currently, we're our our cupboards are a little barren as well, as you can tell. We're not football uh, about now. Uh, base no, we're we're uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why we took your coach, my friend. We looked everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, all right. So we actually we talked to uh, some folks yesterday. Uh, our friend uh, Robert Craig from Citizen Action Wisconsin, trying to get uh, a handle on what it's going to look like heading into twenty twenty four. And we touched a little bit on uh, on Milwaukee. Uh, what what do you have to tell us? What has been going on as far as the uh, like? Let's start with transportation projects in Milwaukee. I know it's your your latest. Uh, tweet i believe um mm-hmm. what what is uh what because what, at first there's the the entire roadway system that we've talked about how it pretty much destroyed access to the lakefront and the great museums you have there and, and businesses and there is movement to you guys are reimagining that and restructuring that correct yeah there's been a lot of talk about reimagining the uh lakefront spur of i-794 um, that was that that's been there's been some interesting movement on that. There was a lot of public comments on it, um, and most of the public comments on it were in favor of tearing it down and doing something differently. So that's that's uh, an encouraging thing. There was also yesterday in Milwaukee, I was a part of a conference uh, called Urban Spaceship, uh, which was on a variety of different mm-hmm. urbanist type ideas. And I hosted a panel with people talking about um, talking about uh, expanding transit and building affordable housing and how those things, you know, can work together. Talked to a really interesting panelist named Cam Hardy from Cincinnati, who got a uh, who, who helped lead an effort to get a um, hundred million dollar transit levy passed uh, for the city of Cincinnati. So definitely a lot that we can learn from uh, here in Milwaukee as we try to uh, bolster some of our public transit that has been, you know, rather underfunded over the years, I must say, especially during the time of uh, when Scott Walker was county executive before he became governor. We're still dealing with uh, many of the cuts that he made uh, at that time in the Milwaukee County. Yeah. 
<laughs> so great. Uh, so with that, I mean, when you're talking about, um, you know, projects and, uh, you know, infrastructure and public transportation, because, um, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. Like, I, I will tell you, like the worst place I, I, I've ever been to when it comes to pedestrians and public transportation has got to be Los Angeles as far as big cities go. It's a nightmare out there. I don't know if you've had a, if you've ever, you've ever been. I have. It's rough. Oh. It's rough. I don't like sitting on the highways uh, no. all day. Seems like the only way to get around there. It's and, rough. The, and the only way to ride your bike is to drive somewhere with it and then get on the bike path like along the, the, the ocean. And that's about it. I mean, there, I, I didn't see any protected bike, lane, bike lanes anywhere I went. There's no train from the, the airport. None of that. And I, we actually talked when we were talking to our friend yesterday from uh, Wisconsin Citizen Action. Um, we were talking about how the you know, how um, Governor Walker pretty much killed the metro line going all the way to, to Milwaukee. Do you know if there's any talk about extending that between Chicago and Wisconsin again? Oh, I would love that. I mean, I know they're trying to, to boost the uh, Hiawatha line, the Amtrak line uh, between Milwaukee and Chicago and kind of extend that. Uh, to Madison and to Green Bay, there's been talks of that. But the Republicans in, Mad- in in Wisconsin are so anti-rail, <laughs> in particular anti-transit in general, definitely. Uh, but especially when it comes to any kind of rail transit, they are very, very, very opposed to it. So it's it's tough sledding uh, to try and get some of those projects passed. Oh man, I. But I think <laughs> you know we have. I am optimistic after that conference yesterday, and I must say. Uh, you know, our our mayor in Milwaukee, Mayor Cavalier Johnson, uh, has really put a focus on wanting to grow the city. Uh, he has a goal of wanting to grow the city to be uh, a population of a million people. We're at about 600,000 right now. So uh, it's an ambitious goal. It would be quite a big jump. But one of the ways that he is, you know, wanting to do that is by, you know, adding in some protected bike lanes and having more of an urbanist vision uh, for the city and expanding transit and expanding different opportunities. And one of the things that uh, members of his administration presented at the panel yesterday was a big overhaul in the zoning code. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be, you know, big changes ahead for Milwaukee and the way uh, that housing can get built. Yeah, you know, most of the housing that we have in this city, I imagine it's not too dissimilar in Chicago, is pretty old. A lot of old housing stock uh, in this part of the Midwest. And so I think, you know, everybody recognizes that we need to, need to build new housing, need to build more housing. Uh, and some of those plans are pretty ambitious on, um, how, that, uh, on how that could get done. Excellent. Uh, you know, th- that's there's so many moving parts. And one of the things I, I just saw you uh, post about as well is that Wisconsin ranks number one for job for job growth in October. Is that right? Is that the chart? Yeah, Milwaukee was number one, number one city for job growth in October. How about that? That's amazing. And yet you have a, a campus just north of you that is not getting as much investment as it used to. But you have businesses that want to hire engineers from Wisconsin, but the Republican legislature won't move on it. What is wrong with that? They really don't like businesses, do they? Or workers or yeah. any of it? Progress. Yeah, it's it's absolutely baffling. Nobody really knows why this. I think people within the Republican caucus are really baffled as to why uh, there is so much opposition to this. You know, the UW Madison is one of the you know kind of leading uh, engineering schools in the Midwest, and they want a new engineering building. We have a lot of employers in the state, you know, that could use uh, engineers, and so uh, there was I think a list of like four hundred different businesses that signed a signed a letter encouraging the legislature to to go forward uh with uh with funding this uh funding this new building which already has 
something to the tune of $150 million in philanthropic dollars uh, put toward it. So it's already halfway there. It just needs the, the, the legislature to, to do its job and get it the rest of the way. But thus far, they, they have not been doing that. And then they've been kind of holding the whole situation hostage. They mm-hmm. held every, uh, you know, pay raise for everybody in the UW system hostage. And it's all over the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss's opposition to any kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI efforts happening at the university level. Mind you, Wisconsin often ranks at the very bottom uh, when it comes to measures of uh, racial um, uh, equality. So <laughs> to hold things up over that is, is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, no. I, well, I mean, there's so much that Robin Voss does, and many of the Republicans in Wisconsin that's ridiculous. And I saw that his, I, you know, I saw that his polling numbers were 16. percent It's fine. I mean, like that, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the whole state hates him. All he needs to do is be re- reelected by his district, and then the Republicans can keep him in in uh, leadership, right? I mean, like we've had. I think. Yeah. I think the he con- put him he can drain himself into a you know a Republican plus 20 type yeah. of district and make it really, really difficult for any kind of challenger to unseat him. And yeah, I wrote about those uh, Marquette poll results last week. And, and, you know, I had one of the things that they do is they always look at the favorability numbers and kind of net favorability of a variety of different national politicians, state politicians as well. Uh, Democratic Governor Tony Evers uh, was by far the most well-liked uh, politician in the state of Wisconsin. He was uh, well over 50 percent approval rating. Uh, and his net favorability rating was plus eight. Uh, a lot of those net favorability ratings in Wisconsin are in the negative. So pretty much every national politician, uh, you know, Ron Johnson, uh, you know, every Republican challenger in the primary had a negative net favorability rating. So it was interesting that Evers was the only one uh, on that list. But Voss had maybe one of one of the worst uh, <laughs> polling numbers I've ever seen. I've, I've written dozens of breakdowns of the Marquette University Law School poll uh, going back to when I started the recombobulation area. It's, it's been just kind of one of those staple things that I do the whole time. There's nothing that compares to Robin Voss's polling numbers. Yeah, I mean, he's at 16% in the state, only 10% among women. Uh, and he is a net negative wow. with every age group, every demographic across the board. And it is every region of the state, I think, even, too. Uh, so it is just ridiculous to, you know, th- this is a guy who is by far the most powerful Republican uh, in the state legislature, and he is just not at all well-liked by the state of Wisconsin. He's the longest-serving assembly speaker in the state of Wisconsin's history, and he is, uh, and he has never been more disliked. <laughs> well, I mean, well, does that also lend itself as to why there isn't a challenger? I mean, Republicans like him uh, who— are disliked and just have power because of the way the state is mapped or, you know, whatever the circumstances that you still do not have a GOP challenger to run against Tammy Baldwin, which is fine, but it's yeah. weird. For a Pretty baffling. State. Yeah. Uh, you know, every, I think every other swing state election has, you know, challengers to the incumbents that are, that are going to be on the ballot or already campaigning Wisconsin, not the case. Uh, but it, it's kind of it, it, there's a couple of Republicans who are more or less running shadow campaigns and haven't quite officially announced just yet. Uh, but Eric Hovde, I think, among those, uh, you know, he's a he's a wealthy Madison business owner. Uh, he ran for Senate 
over a decade ago uh, and lost in the GOP primary when Tammy Baldwin uh, first won uh, her election in 2012. Uh, he lost in that primary, but has kind of been on the edges of Wisconsin politics for a little while. But then he was also doing a whole lot of work in California. And so I don't know if, if the Wisconsin Republicans have learned from, you know, Tim Michaels last year being a wealthy coastal business owner who's kind of returning to the state uh, to run for statewide office. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't think he's going to pose too significant a challenge to, to Tammy Baldwin, but it is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin always has raised an election, so you never know. Well, it, it, yes. And I was just, again, we were talking yesterday about how baffling it is that you have such a stronghold in the General Assembly that's just so red, but you have such a long history of labor history, of progressive ideas, um, and ju- it's just the machinations of what the Republicans have done for decades that have led us to this. And, and I, I guess that kind of all feeds into it. Uh, what are you hearing as far as you know people getting organized for the 2024 presidential election because you guys are going to be critical in that race yeah people are we're one year out now yeah you know so it's uh, i think a lot of people started some of those efforts from from being one year out um you know i know the wisconsin democrats uh with ben wickler did kind of a statewide canvas kickoff uh, a couple weeks ago while when we we're kind of in that moment of being one year out and i think you know it's interesting that not only is this going to be you know Perhaps the tipping point state for the presidential election, perhaps the tipping point state for control of the Senate. Uh, but I think they are also looking up and down the ballot at, at what can be done in some of these state legislative races, the state Senate, the assembly. Uh, you know, that was another thing that we saw in the Marquette University Law School poll. The, the Wisconsin state legislature, which has been under total co- Republican control uh, for with their gerrymandered majorities for more than a decade now has a approval rating of about 40%, and that's pretty low. Evers is close to 60%, so there's obviously a lot more Wisconsinites who favor the work of the governor than than that of the legislature. And I think it's going to be really important. We don't know exactly what the maps in Wisconsin are going to look like, but I think it's going to be really important for Democrats to challenge every last seat uh, in the Wisconsin state legislature because this is, you know, uh, this is something I've said over and over again, but I think it's, Democracy starts from the bottom up. It starts from the bottom of the ticket all the way up. Yep. And the more you can invest in some of those small local races, the more you can get people on the ballot, get people challenging, uh, you know, unpopular politicians like Robin Voss. That's going to that's going to make an impact at the top of the ticket, too. So we might have some, you know, competitive congressional races, congressional uh, competitive Senate races, but it all starts at that local level. And I know there are a lot of people uh, in the state right now who are upset about politics. And I think now is the time to maybe think about taking a run, get on the ballot, yes. make a change. So there's a lot, lot of opportunity in front of us as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I appreciate your, your insight. Uh, and, and I also want to say that uh, Craig Council looks really good in a Cubs jersey. Anyway, <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Uh, he's, he looks very young. Anyway, uh, that's a, I just was watching the video on your on your thread. Uh, thank that's because so he hasn't had to deal with the Chicago media yet. That's why he looks so young. <laughs> hey, I saw what's his face, Joe. I saw who was the guy we had that won the World Series. Gosh, now I'm forgetting everybody. Um, the one that he when we, yeah, Joe Man. I saw him at a uh, at a Cuban restaurant, uh, and he looked pretty chill. And that was uh, even after he won the World Series. But that's a guy who had his press, first press conference at Harry Carey's and bought everybody a uh, Chicago handshake, which is a, a pint of old style and a shot of Malort. So, just saying. <laughs>
Sounds awful. <laughs> I look forward to tipping one back with you when uh, we catch up sometime in Chicago or or in Milwaukee. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. Everyone follow Dan Schaefer, S-H-A-F-E-R, on Twitter and sign up for his for his publication, The Recombobulation Area, by following that link right there under his bio. Have a great night. I hope to talk to you next week if your schedule allows, Dan. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, I want to talk to you guys about a program that maybe if you have young people in your life, you can encourage them to take a part, to get credited, to be direct support professionals and work with the disabled community. We'll talk about that in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. You know, I've, uh, I, I, I am very grateful to WCPT for giving me the space to uh, work both here and on the road and uh, when I need to uh, be flexible. They're very flexible when I have to care for my son. Uh, my son Declan is 18 years old and was born medically fragile. And every child that has a diagnosis, whether at birth or somewhere along the way, uh, is, needs all the support they can. And in particular, parents really uh, were in a constant state of emergency um, trying to make sure that our children have uh, the care that they need, the access to education, um, whether it's – and parents need – support as well. And joining me in studio is Mike Baker. I'm going to turn that microphone a little bit towards you, if you don't mind, my friend. Uh, and Mike and I, Mike is an advocate. I started going to Springfield. We probably missed each other, you know, because Several I, times. Yeah, I was in Springfield starting in 2010 for therapies that a lot of parents didn't qualify for their kids. And, De- you know, Declan was like five years old and I was getting everything I needed and they, they weren't quite able to connect with that. And you've been going down and, and crafting legislation, working with, uh, with senators and representatives, uh, and this, let's talk about the one that we're talking about, that we're covering today, which is DSP. Tell folks what DSP is. DSP is a direct support professional, and they are the people that take care of every single need. When special needs parents drop off their children at the door, they take, they take care of everything from make sure they get safely into the classroom, mm-hmm. to get their get their stuff all situated for the day, to make sure that they get all the equipment they need for activities. So they're they're the parents of yeah. of the kids when we're not there. So we need we put a lot of responsibility on them. They need to be they they need to be a certain quality of people. And then they need to be compensated, and there's training involved, and it also can be a really fulfilling. I mean, the people that work with Declan, that work at the school that he goes to, are incredible. And we need to make sure that they have more, because this is not an easy position to fill often. And part of that was wages, which I know you also helped make sure that that was at least improved, right? Right. It's it's keeping up with the McDonald's, the Amazons. Yeah. And the problem is with nonprofits, you can't throw money at, at this situation and cure the problem. You need to find a combination of wages and also creative ways of recruiting people, and find people that are have that have the the niche to deal with people with special needs. Right. And it's not an easy thing to do. You need to temperament. You need patience. 
you need personality. Yes. So there's a com- it's not just anybody off the street. There's some people off the street that might be getting in a position. It might be not, not be patient enough. Right. And parents can sense that. Oh, yeah. And children can sense that, too. And there's often a big turnover, too, uh, whether it's, you know, from the the lack of uh, of compensation for this or the environment that they're in. And so, like, when you when you do find someone that, you know, has taken on the responsibility and we trust, you know, sometimes for whatever reason they get married, they move. That can be really hard, too. So we are, we often need to replenish the the field. And so tell us about the legislation that you helped pass so that high school students and college students can get certification as DSPs. Well, this originally started with the COVID situation in 2020. My son spent a year in isolation. He started a brand new adult transition program. So he's a year in isolation doing the Zoom meetings. And then January of 2021, he started in person. So he had to learn a new, a new routine, right. new teachers. Also, on top of that, wearing a mask. Oh, and right. then on top of that, not being able to go out in the community the way he used to. My son Brian needs to be moving all the time. All the teachers know that if he's not moving, he's 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 a bundle. Right. And my my, my son is six seven two sixty. So if he doesn't want to do anything, if he gets angry, there's not too much he could do about it. So it's gonna make gonna make the big man happy. Right. Right. And moving is a big part of that. Right. Yeah. So so in June of twenty twenty one, I thought, what could we do to kind of relieve relieve the problem? I've had seven bills I pushed through the General Assembly for people with developmental disabilities. And I, and, I, and I thought, what can we do to recruit? Because not too many people are recruiting. They're throwing money into the situation. Right. But, but that, that's not solving the problem. Nobody's looking at trying to find good people to work at the jobs. So I thought maybe the high school students, with their, with their energy and new ideas, and also add the part of... If they want to work as a DSP, add in part of high school credit, as well as putting on a college resume to, com- right. to combat the fact that you're paying them twenty twenty something dollars an hour, and being being in the sales field, I want to make something a little different than what other people are offering. Sure, to get to get them inter- interested in being DSP workers because it's a hard job. It is, and you you need such people. And you, want, you need to be creative. Well, and that's something that you have been focused on. I want to bring on our guest that we have on the phone. I'm bringing on uh, Andrea Andrea Griffin. Andrea, is it Andrea or Andrea? I always like to make sure. A- Andrea, you're and- good. Andrea Griffin, Superintendent of Recreation with NWRSA. And we have, as well, we have Tracy Crawford, who is the Vice President for Clearbrook West. And uh, you're on with me and Mike Baker. And uh, and I know that he has worked with you with uh, trying to expand this program and trying to connect. First of all, uh, Andrea, uh, tell us a little bit about how this collaboration uh, with encouraging kids to pursue uh, DSP positions. Um, so similar to what Mike has already stated, um, we really saw the need for um, individuals to start wanting to join the human service field, and we weren't seeing that. So looking at um, trying to make it something that we could get into high schools with and really make it something that high school students would be able to accomplish um, in order to leave high school with the certification and the knowledge and the skill set to work with individuals with disabilities. So trying to kind of attract um, a workforce at a younger age. 
so that way we could have them almost for hopefully um, their entire working adult life. Excellent, and, and I and I really appreciate that. And I guess before we, uh, and by the way, I, I just learned that it's uh, Emily, not Tracy. So I'll talk to Emily in a moment. I don't know where Tracy came from. <laughs> probably just some note I, I misplaced. Uh, Andrea, I, I I probably jumped over the part where I want to let p- folks know because I've had the pleasure of working with NWRSA as well. So tell folks about your about the recreation programs in your area. Um, So we are an extension, a partnership of 17 park districts located in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. We are the largest provider of recreational services for children and adults with disabilities in the state of Illinois. Um, We've been providing outstanding recreational opportunities for a little over 50 years. Um, All of our programs are run by certified uh, recreational therapists or certified park and recreation professionals. Um, And we provide those rec programmings that are essential within our 17 communities. Uh, Mike's giving me a gesture that I, I got the letters uh, mixed up. Uh, I, I had it, and I was trying to do it from memory. N W S R A. And what's the website? You're for good. Folks? Yep. What's the website for folks who can learn more um, about the programs? Uh, it's nwsra.org. Outstanding. I, I really, it's it's amazing, you guys, the work that they do. And I'm so excited to have this conversation. And joining us as well is Emily, Vice President of Clearbook West. Tell us a little bit about Clearbook. Clearbrook, Emily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, Patty. Um, Clearbrook is home to over 8,000 children and adults impacted by intellectual and developmental disabilities. Uh, we support them and their families by uh, providing support across the lifespan, birth to end of life, um, really helping them live their fullest lives possible. Uh, We provide personalized children, community day, employment, residential, clinical services, uh, more than 80 locations in 160 communities throughout the Chicagoland area. Um, We're also proud to say that we're the largest provider of home-based services in the state. Um, And our deep expertise spans six decades, allowing us to care for an array of unique needs. Uh, you know, I like to say Clearbrook is more than a nonprofit. We are family, we're friends, we're a job, we're a way to give back, uh, we're a home. Outstanding. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, you are. You're, you've helped my son out tremendously. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Emily, what are some of the challenges when it, and, and what are the benefits of this, this program, this uh, collaboration with uh, the, the pathway for kids to get credit and learn to be DSPs? Yeah, I think, you know, the DSP staffing crisis, um, you know, Mike alluded to it as well. You know, it's really persisted for several years now. So it really is crucial that we begin to expand our pool of potential staff. Um, High school age students, you know, in that junior and senior year, they begin exploring those career paths. And a career in human services can be really rewarding. Um, this program will allow students to learn about human services and um, and also consider a career in that field. Being able to graduate, prepared to go into the workforce, um, you know, continue their education, earn higher degrees and certifications. Um, that they can use in their human services career. And so really we're hoping that this program will help expand um, that human services workforce and give students the opportunity to gain the firsthand experience in the field um, that they may not have considered previously. And as of spring, we are expanding into the first two years of community college. That's great. Yeah. 
And, and one of the reasons uh, Mike is on with me is that, you know, it's one thing to pass legislation and have these programs available. It's an entirely different thing to make sure that people know about it, to encourage kids and, and to reach out to them. Andrea, what are some of the, the, the successful techniques that you uh, have seen, you know, throughout your experience that would, you know, would be appealing to young people? What, what can we do to uh, talk to parents, to schools? Uh, how do we get this across the finish line of, of really solving this crisis for DSPs? Um, I think it's about starting that conversation about giving back and what they want to do with their life, um, earning more than just a paycheck, you know, supporting one of the most vulnerable populations um, and really having a rewarding feeling at the end of the day. It's that it's that piece of of really community engagement that we're trying to get those high school students to fulfill. I think sometimes we we discredit the high school population, that younger generation, when truly, you know, we need to get back and really provide them with the opportunities to give back to the community. And this is a great, great start. I I always like to see my son interact with high school students as far as having a a connection with them. And hopefully they can have more of a connection with people, people like my son so we can socialize with them. And when he goes out and see, see them in the community, they'll be like, hey, 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 Brian, I know you. Because I know in the past when, he, when he's done best buddies at the lower levels, people have recognized him, and that, that, that made him feel good. And that provides a good, uh, good, good boost to, to the kids in the program. That's a great point. I think that, you know, having someone who's, you know, as far as high school students and, you know, with a child like like Declan and like Mike's son, uh, it, it is uh, fulfilling for both. And, Emily, what are some of the, the uh, um, ways in which we can reach out? Like I said, it, it, you know, it's one thing to have a legislation. Now we need to get it out there and, and, uh, and sort of uh, elevate this for everyone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and as part of um, the current collaboration that Clearbrook and NWSRA have with the Pursuit programs, um, our two agencies and organizations have also begun collaborating on uh, speaking with high schools directly. Um, so Andrea, you know, has gone out, spoken with, um, you know, various principals, superintendents, um, begun that discussion, and then, um, you know, kind of our next phase is really to then begin introducing what does it look like to become a DSP? What is the training that's required? Um, what are the opportunities that that brings um, after high school? And so we do have a couple of school districts that we're going to begin um, introducing that information and, and really um, focusing in on the exciting and and honestly amazing um, job that it is to be a DSP. And then what are those skills that they, they can continue to build to grow within the human services field? There's a lot of opportunity um, to grow into management, to grow into other areas. And so how can how can this one job all that also then create more um, professional opportunities? And, and with election year coming up, I think the most important thing from my end is to make sure the elected representatives know the programs are out there because all they're looking at it is from the how, how much are people going to need as far as rate, raising wages. And they got to look at mm-hmm. it from the other part of it as far as going talking with the young people and exciting the young people to to call you guys looking for an application and, get, and give it a try. So there's, there's something the legislators can do, and I think it's the time for them to, to, 
to do it. That was going to be my next question. Should I, I think that we could even encourage listeners to call their electeds and say, hey, you know, what kind, what kind of support are you lending to these programs? Because I know my legislator uh, ran on being a special education and special needs uh, advocate, and I have, I, have ne- I have not received any information or seen anything on social media saying, hey, I hope you guys know about this program. You know, because they often put out things about job fairs and, you know, this union's recruiting. I have not seen a single thing. So is, is it helpful, Andrea, to ha- encourage our legislators to amplify this as well? I would think so. Yes, yes, most definitely. So Senate Bill 3972 is the Senate bill that allows um, high school students to take classes, allowing them to obtain their DSP certification. So now that we've worked so hard to get this Senate bill in place, um, we really do need to put some more word behind it, a little bit more backing, um, and then that outreach for the bill. And if the governor is listening, I would encourage him to come out and cheerlead for, for our kids. And the other bill, Senate Bill 1558, was for the community college level. So we started the high school level and built the community college level. Yeah, because people often, you know, they'll say one thing. They'll say that, they, that they're committed to a program. And yet somehow, and, and I'm not going to, I don't want to put either Emily or Andrea on the spot, but we continue to be one of the worst states in the country when it comes to services in particular for adults with disabilities. Is that something that you're, do you have any thoughts on that? Or I, I don't want to get anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. My thoughts would be long. Yes. Yeah, and, and that and that is because again, there's there is there is, is talking about it, and then there's doing something about it. And Mike and I have been on calls with uh, with um, with Arc and with other organizations, you know, trying to help with uh, with homes and care. And what we what we've talked about is we need somebody with like their hair is on fire in Springfield to get some of these programs expanded because Mike has been telling me, again, it's one thing to get the legislation through. It's another to make sure that people know about it. And so I'm so proud that you guys are working with with Mike on this uh, at at, um, at Clearbrook and at and NWSRA. Um, what other things do you want folks to know about? Because because the kids can earn credit, right? Andrea, they can earn credit. Uh, they can build their resume. You know, when they're applying for college, they can show that they've been doing work in the community. What are some of the other elements that we should make sure that we're amplifying? Um, not only do they earn the credit, they actually hopefully would be leaving senior year with that DSP certification. Right. So they would be able to go work with their certification in that human service field um, and change the lives of individuals every day. So really just making sure that families who have high school students know, you know, college may not be the goal for everyone. Right. This is another great opportunity for those juniors and seniors to start looking into to, for career development and exposure. And I think you bring up a good point where you're really improving lives. And Emily, I know that uh, as, as, a, as a mother of a child who will never live independently, uh, and I say child, Declan is now 18 years mm-hmm. old and we're dealing with guardianship and things like that. But you, yeah. t- tell us about some of the, you know, the, the reactions you get from families who do benefit from services that a DSP can provide. Yeah, I mean, I I remember a story, um, one of our parents, um, she has a son who lives in one of our residential homes, and um, it's one of the toughest decisions I, I any parent has to make is to say, I'm going to now put my family member, my loved one, in the care of others. Um, 
but her father was, um, he was not doing well. And he said to her, you need to do this. Um, and she said, it's the best decision she's ever made. Um, the DSPs, they become like family to, to our individuals, uh, because they're with them, particularly in our residential homes. But even during the day, um, there's a lot of, um, intimate care that's required for some individuals as well. And, uh, and so that is also something that, um, can be, it's very, you know, it, again, they become like family to them. Um, and so, you know, or they're their friends or they're teaching them how to, you know, make their scrambled eggs. Um, you know, those are some of my, my favorites and, and parents, um, when they know that their their loved one is in a safe place and is happy, yeah. you know, those are basic needs. What just happened there? I've never seen that happen before. I just lost them. Wait, did I lose everybody? Hold on, everyone. Hold on. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's on my end. It looks like the screen is. No. Uh, that is really weird. Line one. Hold on. Let me, let me try it again. Hello? Emily, yes. Andrew, Hello. Uh, that was, I don't know yeah. where that came from. That was so weird. <laughs> uh, I, 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 we were sort of uh, running out of time, but so I want to th- thank you for that, Emily. And, and, and well, I don't, the governor go- did that because he knows that we're saying that he doesn't, isn't doing enough. Well, this um, kind of parallels with this <laughs> conversation I had with my yes. ISC agent last week and also my person from Clearbrook. Yeah. We talked about my son's future with, ho- with housing. Yeah, and everything comes down to I. I know there's not enough DSPs to, to match the, the housing need. Yeah, and also for respite care, and that's all over. It's not just Illinois; it's right. all, it's all it's over all, the country. And and when I say that we're we're we can do better in Illinois, it's one of the reasons I ran for office. And and while I wasn't successful, I'm in a position where I can amplify these stories. But what I ran on, and and I think Mike. It perhaps has said this out loud to, or thought it himself. What I in my very long pitch as to why people would be like, "Why are you running?" I said, "You know, parents like me who have a child who will never live independently often think I can't die first because I don't know that my son will be cared for the way he is loved and supported right now. So, in the absence of being able to live forever, I need to make this state as good as possible, improve everything for everyone, so that I know he will be happy, healthy, and safe when I'm gone. And the work that you guys do makes me feel as though we are moving in that direction. I know that you do that for families. So, I want to thank you both and everyone that you work with for providing that kind of help. Thank you. And I want to thank, thank Mike you for having us. Absolutely. And Mike, I want to thank you for the advocacy that you do. Um, you do a lot that I, I, I haven't found the space to do, and I look forward to collaborating with you more. This won't be the last time I have all of you on. Uh, again, the uh, Emily, where can folks go to learn more about Clearbrook? Uh, clearbrook.org. Clearbrook.org. And for, yep. for N, it's NWS as in Sam, R A N as in Nancy, W S as in Sam, R A dot org to learn more about the great work that they do there as well. Andrea, Emily, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Thank you, thank Mike. You. Thank you. That was excellent. I look forward to we'll, we'll keep this conversation going and, and uh, keep people updated on, on the work that you're doing and on DSP credit. Okay, appreciate and certification. It. Absolutely. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal.